0: Well, this morning, I thought we'd take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, I'd be happy to know that uh, we're actually going to mostly spend our time in one scripture passage instead of bouncing all over this whole Bible, <laughs> as we often do. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll start right in at verse 1, and I uh, think we should get through about 14 verses. The plan. Uh, Today, uh, I am reading from the New International Version, and I'm doing that because I thought that it was um, the most easily understandable translation here, and I just liked the way it was phrasing things, so that's what we're using. Ephesians 1 1. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think Paul was a special case. (laughs) He was special because his conversion came about by a direct act of God upon his person. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, that I can think off the top of my head of anyone else where that really happened that God just came to that person and stopped them in their tracks and said guess what you're going to go this way now and uh, with Paul he seems to have done that and in some ways that's um, a bit of a wonder and it makes you kind of stop and think about uh, what what that could mean but he's a special case I think he recounted the event when God intervened in his life to King Agrippa in Acts 26. I just want to read that to you so that you'll, you'll get a sense of what happened to Paul to make him an apostle called by Christ since he lived after Christ was crucified and he, and he taught after Christ was crucified. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen And will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. What a crazy thing. Can you imagine God saying something like that to you? Well, he sort of did. <laughs> he he said that we will be his witnesses. And a lot of people see that as a command, you know, go out and witness. I don't think so. I think it's a statement of fact. When he lives in us, we are his witnesses. It just comes out of us, maybe not in so many words. Sometimes, you know, we feel bad because I didn't lead anyone to Christ or I didn't, I didn't present Christ to this person or I didn't preach the gospel to them or I didn't tell them how to be saved. But I think it's much more than that. I think it is what they see in us as we live our day-to-day lives that makes them wonder and makes them curious about why we are the way we are. And these things manifest Christ. Paul was an apostle by the will of God, all right. God stopped him right there and said, you're it. Paul spoke primarily to the Gentiles. And unless you are an ethnic Jew, you fall into that category. Another word, by the way, for Gentiles is heathen. Those who are outside the gate, as it were. Not among the Israelites. I love this about Paul. He was kind of grabbed by the shirt collar and taken out into the wilderness to be schooled by the Holy Spirit. And when he was finished with his classes, he had a deep understanding of exactly what Jesus had done at the cross. And I'm so glad that Father tasked Paul with telling us all about it. This passage in Ephesians helps us see and understand part of the amazing fu- uh, truth that Paul was taught by God himself. And he starts right out in verse 3 saying this, or in Ephesians 1, in verse 3 he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Father has given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 1:20 Paul says something similar. And there we find this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Father has given us every spiritual blessing. We have been placed in Christ. These blessings are in Christ. Later in Ephesians, we find that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It can be easy to gloss over this. We are in Christ. Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, as we read in Ephesians 1.20, just a few verses beyond our passage this morning, he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Spiritually, we are in the most secure place imaginable. We have no need to be concerned about our spiritual condition. This is one reason why we are told in Romans 8, 31 to 39 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it goes through a huge laundry list of things. And it talks about a lot of of things that we might think could separate us somehow and shows how they cannot. And it shows additional insight into the scope of the blessings being discussed here in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at the list uh, from Romans 8 just briefly. It says that God is for us. And so who can be against us? It says that God gave us Jesus. And out of the kindness of his heart, God will give us all things. It says that no one can bring any charge against us that will matter to God. It says that God chose that all of us who believe would become his children. He chose us in him. God has already justified us. And as Jim pointed out this morning, that's the nullification of any charges that were against us. It's been just done away. He has already done this. No one can condemn us, the passage tells us. And in fact, in Romans 8, 1, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It says in this passage in Romans 8 that Jesus intercedes for us. Whenever the enemy is bringing accusation, that's what he does. You know, the word, the name Satan means accuser. He accuses us. He tempts us to do something ungodly, and then he accuses us for having done it. But whenever those charges come, Jesus intercedes for us and nothing whatsoever can separate us from God's love. That's quite a list. And it's only part of the every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus that Father has given us, that we've been reading about. We are safe and secure in Christ, and nothing can possibly change that. Now let's pick up Ephesians 1 at verse 4. For he chose us in him, God chose us in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Many people balk at the idea that we who have been born again are holy and blameless, but scripture boldly makes that statement. Father chose us, all who will believe, according to John 3.16, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, He chose that we should be holy and without blame before Him, or as the uh, before Him, or as the NIV says, in His sight. Now, some would assert that this is talking about our state at some future time, when we all get to heaven in the great by and by. It will be holy and blameless then. But that idea is untenable to me for two reasons. First, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. And scripture is abundantly clear on this point. And then second, we're talking here about how God sees us. This raises questions in my mind. First, if our new spirit is not holy and blameless. How can we be in Christ? How can Christ be in us? And how can 1 Corinthians 6.17 say that we are one spirit with God? Can anything imperfect exist in Christ? The answer is no, because if there were any imperfection in him, he would cease to be God. Second, and this is something that bothered me even as a young boy, if God sees us as holy and blameless, but we are not actually holy and blameless, are we saying that God is faking himself out? That's an idea I simply cannot swallow. Consequently, I'm convinced that we are indeed holy and blameless at the core of our being right this very moment. The next wonderful blessing Father has given is adoption as his own children. Adoption makes us part of his family. Spiritual rebirth seals the deal by causing us to share in his nature. 2 Peter 1.4 makes this point in saying that he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature. Additionally, John points out in 1 John 3, 9, that God's seed is in us. God's seed is in us. We are the children of God, not just in name, but in likeness. John four seventeen tells us, this is how love was made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. As God's children who carry God's seed, we inherit godly traits. These include things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's continue in our passage in Ephesians 1, picking up at 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished upon us. This is one of the things I loved about what the, how the NIV rendered that. He lavished his grace upon us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. We have been redeemed. That means bought with a price. As 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 tells us, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is what Leah's whole goal in her career is about. It's about your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so honor God with your body. The price was the perfect and beyond sufficient blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.22 makes it clear that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The blood Jesus shed paid the wages of our sin, death, and made forgiveness possible for all of humanity. That's why we just read that the forgiveness was in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The blood of Jesus is far more than enough to take away the sins of the world. That's some serious riches of undeserved favor. That's the ridiculous grace of our wonderful God. But The blessings didn't stop there. He also made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in 14 through 16, we read this amazing news. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God by the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. What does that mean, you may ask? Paul answers that question in Galatians three twenty six to 29 and here is what it says. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. We talked about that this morning earlier, didn't we? That, that these people were saying, we're special because we're in the lineage of Abraham. And here Paul shows how God was in Christ unifying the two groups together and unifying the relationship with God for all humanity. God's will was that all of humanity not just the Hebrew nation would be able to know him. This revelation came in the form of Jesus Christ. It was fulfilled at It was foretold by the prophets, but fulfilled at just the right time. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 elaborates on this. It says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that's the Jews, that we might receive adoption to sonship, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This is good news indeed. And again, we're told that we are God's children, and now that we are his heirs, Indeed Romans 8:17 agrees in saying, "Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that something? You inherit the same wonderful inheritance that Jesus inherits. And you know, when we think about that, we think, oh well, we're going to split the estate five ways, you know? In equal parts. But when you split God's estate in equal parts, every one of the parts is infinite. (laughs) And we're worried about if we're going to have enough crowns or jewelry or a big enough house or, you know. No, it's not how it works at all. (laughs) Now let's look at the last few verses in this part of Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Did you get all that? God works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. We worry about all kinds of stuff This should not be taken to mean, however, that he is some sort of puppet master up in the sky who controls every detail of every moment on earth. That's not the personality and character God has shown us in Jesus Christ. He gave us the freedom to choose. We can accept what he offers or we can reject it. The choice is ours. We can believe him, and be reconciled to him, and accept the intimate personal relationship and eternal life he offers. Alternatively, we can say no to that and live on our own terms. Like all choices, each of these alternatives has consequences. We know that God is love, and so we can base our responses to him on that characteristic, when, when we believe, our text tells us, we are marked in him with a seal. Now, we're not used to seals much these days. We have lick-em, stick em, and peel-and-stick. Those, who can, those who, who can food know about seals, however. And so do auto mechanics and those who work in the judicial system. A seal prevents anything from getting out or anything from being introduced into the compartment it protects. Holy Spirit is such a seal for us. He is the guarantee of our inheritance. Nothing can get in and diminish it and we cannot be taken out. He is also referred to as a deposit. Now, any of us who have ever bought or sold a home are familiar with deposits. They're often called earnest money. Deposits are money paid in advance to show that we are earnest about completing the transaction and are not going to back out just because we got cold feet. Although I'll have to say, I have been tempted on occasion. Holy Spirit is a deposit for us. Having a seal and a deposit are necessary for us. We're here on earth in this fallen temporal world where we no longer feel at home. And why should we? Look what Jesus said about us in John 15, 19. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. While we are here, we live by faith and not by sight, and that can be challenging. Knowing that Holy Spirit is our seal gives us peace. When the world or our enemy shakes the container and threatens to pull us out or make us fall, We get peace knowing he's our our seal. We're tightly sealed and we're marked by him. Knowing that Holy Spirit is our deposit gives us something to hold on to when things look gloomy and we're tempted to doubt our future well-being. God the Holy Spirit lives in us, guaranteeing Father's promise as we dwell in Christ by faith until the day we see him as he is. We have indeed been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are children of the kingdom, not children of the world. And that's why it's so uncomfortable here. But fear not, because better days are coming, and lots of them. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, the dependability of it, the the magnificence of it. As we delve deeper into it, we learn more and more about you, and we come to know you better, and that causes us to trust you more. As we talked about this morning, that faith in something, the decision to trust something comes from our trust of the source, and we trust you because you have proven yourself, as we sang this morning, over and over. We pray that you would drive these truths deep within us, that in those times when we are tempted to question or doubt or have fear or just worry or or just be concerned about what's happening in our nation or in the world or in our homes or wherever, that, Father, we would remember these truths, that we would remember that we are not of this world, that we are ambassadors here, and that that truth would pour out through our lives into those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.